Good morning. Welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse, host of our ongoing conversation about uh, disruption, innovation, and how technology is changing everything around us. If you're watching on Facebook Live or WebEx or listening to our podcast, thanks for uh, being part of the conversation. Uh, today, we're joined by Sam Sebastian, the CEO of Pelmorex, the company behind uh, the Weather Network. And uh, Sam's a, a leader in Canadian innovation in his own right, as you'll uh, learn a bit more about today. If you don't know Pelmorex, uh, you're probably a user, and you're going to learn more about that today. It is the world's third largest weather platform, I believe, and uh, Canada's fourth most actively used uh, app, so something we're all turning to. And if you're thinking about the weather outside today and the storm that is hitting us, you may think that we're gonna be talking a lot about the weather today. So a bit of a spoiler alert, uh, we're not. Because uh, Palmorex is way more interesting than the weather. Uh, Just we're gonna... go to the Weather Network app and check it yourself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> boost, uh, boost those numbers. Uh, uh, before joining Palmorex, uh, Sam was head of Google Canada. Uh, uh, here in Toronto and uh, moved to Toronto in 2014, which is when we first uh, met. And it's remarkable how much the data economy has changed over the last uh, six years. Just a couple of numbers or data points to think about. According to Statistics Canada, the data economy may now be worth more than $200 billion in Canada. Just to put that into context, all the oil reserves that we know we have in Canada are worth maybe $300 billion. So data really is the new oil. But it's also an epic challenge for all of uh, us in Canadian business because to be frank, uh, there's a number of platforms out there that, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Google and Amazon and Facebook that are kind of the OPEC of the data economy. And they control a lot of uh, the supply of data. Great companies, but there's, a, uh, there's a, an equal challenge to everyone else in the, uh, in the data economy. And questions about how we use data to become more relevant to customers. That's something we're asking ourselves a lot. How do we use data to ensure we're actually building public trust, that we're not eroding public trust? How do we use data to be more efficient in everything we do? And I think one of the critical questions is how do we think about and use data to improve our impact in our communities and in the world around us. So Sam, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thanks for having me, great to be here. So let's uh, start with a look at the state of data in, uh, in, in 2020. Canadian, uh, Canadians invest something like $40 billion a year now in data. It's more than we spend on machinery and heavy uh, equipment. So it is, is a significant, significant driver to the Canadian economy. And yet, firms that have looked at our usage of data, especially from a business perspective, I'm thinking of the report McKinsey did, for the Business Council of Canada found that most Canadian companies have not moved beyond kind of elementary data analytics. Uh, Deloitte studied even the leaders in Canada and said, you know, against your global peers, you're not uh, where the rest of, of the world is. So I wonder, Sam, you've got great fresh eyes still uh, coming into our country. You've seen the data economy through Google and now through Pelmorex. What's holding Canadians back? So I'm going to take a slightly different uh, tone to this. Uh, I'm American and, and recently Canadian. I've found that Americans tend to pound their chest and say how great they are. Canadians tend to sulk and say how not great we are. And so I'm going to answer the question um, with kind of some positive optimism and momentum because I actually, in the six years I've been here, when I first started at Google, there was a sense and a stereotype that, that, that Canadian business was very slow on digital transformation, data, 
in the, in the three or four years I, I ran Google Canada and the last two and a half years running, running Pelmerex, I've seen more momentum in the clients that I worked with uh, at Google and the peers that I now have um, at Pelmerex and in the tech community than, uh, than in, any, uh, in any other previous time in Canada. And so I, I, I try to strike a bit more optimistic tone because I think big corporates and definitely entrepreneurs and startups understand the, the, both the challenge and the opportunity of data, analytics, artificial intelligence, and especially in Toronto, uh, we, we're attracting more of that type of talent and, and employing more of that type of, uh, the, that type of employment here uh, in Toronto than almost any other major city around the world. So I think it's a great time. I think we still have a lot more work to do, but uh, we're definitely trending in the right direction. So do you, do you, talent is key to data. We'll get into your talent strategy and more of the Pelmorix uh, story. But I, but, but I want to stick with uh, the, the line of thinking about where Canada is yeah. right now. So if, if we are taking off, as, as you suggest, that, that, that's terrific. Uh, also a lot of uh, concerns, competing interests in, uh, in how we approach data. The federal government is working on a new data strategy. Uh, which would be very helpful probably yeah. for everyone who is engaged uh, with, with data. I want to get your high-level thoughts on what we, sh what we need to get right as we think about our approach. I, I think we have to be to careful right. from a regulation perspective. Um, about 10% of our business is in uh, Spain, so there was a, a privacy legislation framework that was uh, launched a couple years ago called GDPR, and so we needed to be compliant for that. And uh, my personal opinion is uh, much of that framework was put in place in order to kind of curb the continued momentum of the big tech giants like Google and Facebook in Europe. Uh, I think the opposite happened. It actually had an unintended consequence of making Google and Facebook even stronger because a lot of the regulation was pretty onerous, it was pretty complex, there was a lot of work you had to do to be compliant. And, and so a, a small, medium-sized business or someone kind of just struggling to compete with larger players has trouble kind of managing in that type of environment where when I was at Google... Just because of the regulatory burden. Exactly. When I was at Google, we had you know hundreds of people preparing for that two years in advance. And when I moved over to Pelmerex, uh, we just started putting a plan together. We threw some bodies at it. And, and, and we were probably further ahead than many other digital publishers and websites uh, across Spain and Europe. So... I think you just have to be very careful. I've talked in, in Ottawa a bunch about this. I, I, I work on uh, the data charter uh, from the Business Council. And I think it has to be a balance of a, a principles-based approach to say these are key things that if we do right, uh, accountability, transparency, protection, a user-first, user-minded approach to, to regulation to, um, to not restrict a user's ability to have a great experience on the web, uh, to protect uh, critical PII, personally identifiable information. Those principles are critical, but do it in a way that, that is not so onerous that it actually hurts our ability to compete. So be principles-based, probably with more enforcement, which yeah, is kind of yeah, the, the for sure. Canadian, Canadian uh, approach. Agreed. But is it that simple? Um, well, it's not simple, for sure. Uh, but I don't necessarily know if governments uh, are the answer. And, and a regulatory framework is always the answer. I do think, you know, listen, maybe this is some of my Americanism coming through, but uh, I do think that in the end, like th we're a great example. So we have 60 million users that come to our platforms on a monthly basis. The minute we upset that balance, boom, we're gone. That's by far our most important asset as a company is the user trust we have with 60 million users. Our, our average user comes to our app 22 times a month. 
So that is loyalty and connectedness that, that we've got. And so we have to get it right as a company. Regardless of whatever the regulatory framework is, we have to ensure that we have accountability, we have transparency, we give a user the, the opportunity to opt in and opt out. We're, we're as upfront as we possibly can be because there's so many choices out there now. Someone will go somewhere else if they feel like they're being bait and switched. So let's uh, get deeper into the uh, Palmorex story. Um, first of all, the name. Our founder is a great entrepreneur, Order of Canada, Pierre L. Morissette, Pelmore Rex. He was the, 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 the founder and the CEO of the company for 31 years. Uh, he was actually my first customer meeting, my first customer visit when I came up here to run Google Canada. Uh, we struck a great personal and professional relationship. And after about two or three years of, of having a kind of a, a partner um, uh, relationship, he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm 72, 73, 74 years old. I'm looking to step, step back. We, wanna, we want this company to be a multi-generational uh, family enterprise over the course of the next one, 100 years, but I need someone who has many of your skill sets. We, we have the same value set, but I need someone who knows digital, who knows data, uh, who's global, who, you know, we need to get into the U.S., et cetera. So you're the perfect guy uh, to run this company, are you interested? And after about a year or so of, of, of talking, I had been at Google for 12 years and it was the perfect time to, uh, to make a change and, 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 um, and it's, been, it's been two and a half years and it's been fantastic. So he's still the executive chairman of the, of the business and then we have brands that you would, you would recognize, the Weather Network, Meto Media uh, here in Canada we, and we're, the, we're the, the major weather player here and we're the third largest in the world. Yeah, no, it's such an inspired move on both, uh, on both sides. Uh, as I mentioned in the, the introduction, uh, you're the fourth most used app in Canada, I think behind Facebook, Google, and, uh, and Apple. Curious how uh, a, a weather channel, essentially, an old media company that Pierre created back in the uh, 1980s transitioned. What was the, the, the most critical factors in that transition to being a, a, a dominant player in the mobile space? Um, the, the entrepreneurial DNA of Pierre and the company, uh, many traditional media companies don't have that DNA, uh, but Pierre, being an entrepreneur, had it and was always growth-minded. So as soon as he recognized the, the power of the internet, even though he knew it may cannibalize uh, his television audience, he, he could see around the corner and recognize, okay, well, this is even a better platform for me to deliver a, uh, an hourly three-day, 14-day forecast to our users and gives me an opportunity even to strike a, a deeper level of engagement. Um, so, you know, he launched one of the first websites in the country and then one of the first apps, one of the first interactive television uh, platforms, et cetera, just because that was his, that was his nature. And then, uh, and then now we're, we're, you know, most all of any new employees that we're bringing in are, are, are data scientists, full stack developers, engineers, because that's what we'll need to continue to manage through disruption that's been just kind of a natural for us to respond to in the last 31 years. So all of us who use your app know the data that, that we're looking for. What kind of data is most valuable to you or to the company? Uh, well, our core product is a uh, forecast. So um, weather data, we, we basically have three chunks of data. The first is weather data. We, we take in probably between 15 and 20 weather models from around the world, free and paid weather models. We put them into a, I'm not a technologist, so I'll use simple language because I'm a simple man, uh, put them into a machine, we mix them all up, we throw a bunch of artificial intelligence machine learning inside the machine, and then we develop our own bias blend forecast that 
um, that takes the best of all of those models and our 30 years of history uh, of knowing how best those models work. Uh, then we have 45 meteorologists inside the company who sit on top of that data in our forecast center and then tweak it for the art that goes along with the science of, of weather to create the forecast. So weather data is extremely important and it's becoming more and more important as we develop new products, which I can talk about in a little bit. Uh, second is just the behavioral data of our users in an anonymized, aggregated fashion uh, that use our, our sites. What you're looking for, uh, where, you've, where you've traversed around the web and our site, what types of searches you've done on the weather network, and then we can kind of put you in audiences that then become very valuable to advertisers to kind of target an, an, an overall audience group. Uh, the, and the last bit of data is, on, is location data. So when, um, and th this, is a, this is an opportunity, but also a big challenge that we take extremely seriously. So when you down, we have about 8 million users who, um, who use our app uh, in Canada on a, on a monthly basis. And we'll ask you when you download the app, um, would you like us to uh, follow you while you're using the app or even when you're not using the app because we'll send you dedicated forecasts, uh, uh, safety alerts whenever we, we also manage the emergency, the backbone for the emergency alerting system for the country. Uh, so anytime there's an amber alert or a wildfire alert or a tornado alert, um, uh, we'll send those to you as well. Uh, as well as, you know, if I'm traveling to Montreal, you were in Ottawa yesterday, uh, we would send you a dedicated alert saying, watch out for 40 mm -hmm. centimeters of snow in Ottawa today. So, so we have a really good value exchange where we'll ask a user, are you cool with that? If you're cool with that, uh, we may, on an anonymized and aggregated basis, use that location uh, for some interesting products that we'll, uh, that we'll build inside the organization and as well perhaps leverage for building more of those audiences from an advertising perspective. So I, I, I want to get to the, uh, some of the products you're developing uh, using all this data, but you, you've, you've touched a couple of times on the, this point about uh, terms and conditions which yeah. is one of the, the, the greatest challenges for all of us wrestling with, uh, with uh, data, data questions. I think I, I read the, um, the, the Facebook TNC is 14,000 words. I don't know if anyone here has actually read it. Um, probably no, no, no one has. Ours is 1,942 words, our privacy policy. 1942. Uh, the Weather Channels is 5,114. AccuWeathers is 4,000. So to your point. And I, and so how did you get to? I, and that's, I figured that's probably where you're going. Um, we just, all the research we've done on our users is if you tell them what you're doing, why you're doing it, you give them the ability to contribute, opt in, opt out, uh, and you treat them with uh, a great deal of respect and you outline in advance what you want to do, for the most part, if you built that trust, they'll let you do it. Uh, or they'll say, no, I'm not comfortable with that, that's fine. Uh, you just have to communicate. And you have to communicate in a way that is uh, pretty straightforward. So that was the goal of our privacy policy. We basically, if you look, we'll, we'll, we have, if you go to our privacy policy, we'll have a one or two page executive summary or one page that just says, here's what we collect, here's why we collect it, if you don't like it, here's how you opt out. Boom. So you don't have to go any further if you mm -hmm. don't want to, but then we go through all the other stuff that you kind of have to go through. But we try to keep it very straightforward, very folksy, very engaging, because you can get lost in, in a lot of the T's and C's that really don't make sense and you're just gonna click okay. Now, why, uh, 
you know, a certain app might ask for your location information and if, if the value exchange is not clear, then I could understand why you get my, say, well, you're a sports app, why do you need to know exactly where I'm going all the time? Um, but from a weather perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. How do you organize yourself as a, as a business to strategize and activate all that you're uh, doing with data? I mean, it, it's, it's amazing, Palmorix is, what, 600? Uh, employees? 400. Sorry, 400. Yeah. Uh, that's extraordinary. 60 million users yep. uh, globally with, through 400 employees. That's We are superhuman. <laughs> superhuman. How do you organize yourself to, to Yeah, uh, uh, It's a combination of um, a couple things. So the core business, uh, with respect to the weather information I was talking about, our forecasting, uh, that is just in our core operation. So uh, over time, we've hired R&D and scientists in meteorology who have this uh, wicked combination of, of engineering and a MET background. It's, it's hard to find, that, uh, to find that combination. But as over the last two or three years, as we've identified ways to build businesses around, around both weather data, behavioral data, and location data, we basically formed a startup inside the company. Uh, Pelmerix Data Solutions was the name of the, is the, name of the uh, subsidiary. And it's basically a 40-person startup inside the company that operates uh, on an entirely different uh, uh, model for the most part. They, they work crazy hours. Uh, a, lot, a lot of them don't wear shoes. Um, I'm kind of being funny, but they're just, they're, they're just these, these young creatives that grew up with data science and, and, and data engineering as kind of their, uh, in their bloodstream. And we can attract those folks uh, and then if you have the right leadership on top of them with, without like KPIs around how much money you're going to make, what's the ROI, but just with KPIs around uh, what's a new experiment we can do, let's understand if this adds value to our users, uh, all the, you know, how can we, how can we um, perhaps create new businesses in the right way over time leveraging data, you'd be amazed how much can happen with a team like that. And then acquisitions that we've done subsequently, we might focus and target on, in that type of area. So we bought a company uh, right when I first started um, uh, in, in uh, Liberty Village, Ad Addictive Mobility, uh, because they have a great set of ad tech and products that we want to add, uh, add to our, uh, our assets, but they also had five killer data scientists, a bunch of engineers, they had a downtown location, and so it really helped us begin to build the venue in the environment to kind of create some new businesses that weren't that weren't as mature and kind of work more from an operational perspective to keep the lights on make sure our users are happy this has to operate at a different speed different kpis and frankly even different talent uh, in order to make it work so we've kind of balanced those two going back to the data solutions unit what's your your thinking strategically the and the give and take in your mind between having that as a independent unit, a startup within the company, versus integrating it through, uh, through the business units? I don't think there was another way to do it, uh, again, because they work on a different clock. Now, sometimes it gets hard and gets frustrating because you'll have a team that is working. You know, a startup life is very different than a 30-year-old um, uh, broadcast company or even a 10-year-old app and, and, and website company. 
Uh, and so they're, they just work on a different time clock. And so sometimes they'll be there at nine o'clock uh, trying to, to, to deal with uh, with something that came up that was is totally new because we've never done the, uh, been in the business, and they'll watch their peers leaving the office at six o'clock because that's just the nature of kind of the mature operation. And so we have to we have to, but they sit in the same same building. So how do we kind of manage some of those incentives and things like that? Um, but otherwise, uh, I think, and it's worked for us so far, kind of putting a bit of a silo around that organization and letting them just fly and not get caught up. Even in a 400-person organization, we have bureaucracy and rules and, and all that nonsense. Uh, and so uh, keeping them sheltered away from that so that they can just fly. Now, we have to be careful because we have this core asset and all this trust. So we, the, connection, the connection points are around things like privacy by design. So we just, we just got certified privacy by design, which basically requires you uh, to build privacy business requirements into every new product that you build. Uh, and we felt that was extremely important for our core business for the reasons I've described earlier but even more important for these new data businesses because in their effort to launch cool stuff, they may you know, cut a few corners from a privacy perspective and we don't want that. We want to ensure that the standards that we set in our core business, we also maintain and sustain in a lot of these new businesses that have to you know, um, uh, run at the speed of light. And how, how do you balance culturally the, the, the lawyers who probably keep their shoes on uh, yeah. and, and the, the, the data geeks who uh, are You know, in the end, we... we they're both good people, but driven by different... Uh, correct. It, um, this is what I learned at Google that I'm trying to apply at Pelmerex. Uh, the reason folks came to work at Google was not the beanbags and the games and, uh, and, frankly, even the money. It was working on the coolest technology and uh, building products that would see, be seen by a billion users. And knowing that when you came into the company, there would be a level of uh, autonomy and empowerment that would allow an entry-level person or a first-year data engineer out of University of Waterloo to create a feature that would be seen by a billion people. That's our pitch to the co-op from the University of Waterloo to come work for Pelmerex. Uh, it's not any of the other stuff around, and that's what jazzes them is I want to work on cool AI technology. I want to work with folks that think like me uh, and that will challenge me, and I want to have an impact on a large scale of users where I can actually see my stuff uh, in, front of a, in, in front of users. Um, um, that, that's what drives, that's what we found drives them. So we just try to set up that capability in those venues to attract and retain that type of talent. That's such a great, uh, great insight. Uh, you, you, you've been talking about the products that you're building on the backs of data. Maybe you can elaborate a bit more and give us some insight in terms of what you're building, but how you go about building uh, products and ultimately monetizing. Yeah, some of the new things that we're really excited about is on the, uh, is on the weather side. So we've had this instinct, and it's much more than instinct because we're a weather business, so we can see it in our numbers, that on a day like today, our traffic to our website will increase by about 25 to 30%. It has a massive impact on our business. Now, we're a weather business, so that's obvious. Every other business in the world now is collecting much more data about what makes them tick, what, makes, what drives sales, uh, and building their own data cube. Weather is a huge variable in many businesses around the world. 
And so, but the problem is a lot of these businesses, especially small, especially small to medium businesses, don't have the data scientists, the analytical firepower to be able to create those correlations and understand them. So we, we've been in the process of building uh, what we call a weather insights platform that basically um, uh, goes to a, one of our, could be one of our existing advertising customers and says, um, give us sales data uh, for the last five or six years for all your locations in Canada, this could be a quick serve restaurant, um, we will mash that up with the historical weather data in all of those locations and build uh, through an, an, an AI algorithm, understand the correlation between product sales, uh, footfall traffic into your stores, et cetera, uh, and weather. And that's extremely valuable because it tells you the impact that weather has had on your business. But what's most valuable, our core product is an hourly, three-day, five-day, 14-day forecast that we're remarkably good at. We've gotten better over time. I'm sure I know we get it wrong sometimes and you let us know, please continue. But for the most part, we get it right. And so then we can help a, a quick serve restaurant tell the future because we know the correlation of a product sale on weather. Oh, and by the way, for this location in Calgary over the next 14 days, here's the weather conditions. And we know the correlation of this one variable. There's probably six, 16 crazy variables in weather that have a real statistically significant impact on product sales. And we can tell you the blend of those variables over time, and then you can make decisions accordingly. Uh, and maybe I can draw on a question we've got from one of our uh, Facebook viewers about the, uh, the enforcement of PIPEDA, the Canadian privacy legislation about to celebrate its 20th birthday. That's how long it's been since we've updated yep. our privacy uh, legislation here. Yeah, um, I think, um, so I, I, was, I was talking to some, some folks about this uh, earlier this week in a round table, and I do think the government is going to hopefully take um, PIPEDA and build on top of it as opposed to scrap it and, and start over and do something new because I do think the principles based of that uh, regulation uh, has been really good for the country. I, I really do. I think it's differentiated uh, us from around the world. Uh, so if we can build on top of that and, and build some teeth and enforcement in, in, in it, I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, and then we just have to kind of be fair and balanced on, on how you enforce. But you also have to be clear on the definition of data. So and, and then maybe begin to prioritize it. This is where I get a little, sometimes I get a little nervous about going too crazy on, on, um, on, on hardcore enforcement around advertising data. Uh, I, I would be more focused on ensuring that companies, banks, insurance companies, other folks have all the, the, the enforcement in place to ensure that cyber attacks and hacks and all those things are locked down because that is what really can cause a lot of chaos as opposed to uh, a user getting a, a more targeted ad as they, as they go across the internet. Um, and so I think as, as I've kind of dug into this over the last couple of years, the definition of data and putting a scope around what are you actually trying to solve and why and who are you trying to protect is going to be extremely important. Otherwise, uh, you just you wind up almost creating too much chaos where there's not clarity and then everyone's not exactly. I mean, this is kind of what happened with Castle. Uh, no one was exactly sure. Uh, That's on, the anti-spam legislation. Yeah, anti-spam on what they were allowed to do, what they weren't do, uh, allowed to do because there wasn't clarity and definition and scope around, uh, around the actual regulation and enforcement. So a lot of it comes down to the idea of preferences, and, and all of our preferences are, 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 are different. Uh, that's, uh, one, that's the nature of humanity. 
And it, there was the celebrated case in Canada, uh, it, it was actually through Google, where someone was served up a healthcare ad related to their condition that they had been searching. And th there was an argument that this was a violation of their privacy. Uh, maybe not with respect to that particular case, but cases like that. Many people would say, well, that's my preference. I actually would like that, that yeah. kind of information in the form of an ad or, or uh, other, other content. Given that it is so individualistic and sometimes idiosyncratic, how, how can we think about and, and, and balance that uh, individual preference with also a desire for privacy? Well, I mean, we're in the process of doing this. You see this a little bit with CCPA in the US, the California legislation. If you can give the opportunity to a user to opt in and almost set their preferences of what they want to see, um, then you begin to get there. Uh, and now that if you but we all, that, some, some of us don't know what we want to see or don't want to see until uh, we see uh, it. Agree, uh, but I think we do have to be careful that we don't go so far this way that, like right now, the beauty of the internet, in my opinion, this is just a personal opinion, is I don't have to pay for a darn thing. I get a chance to go and, and travel all over the web, all over the world, do a ton of research, read, all that stuff. And for the most part, with, a couple, with the exception of a couple subscriptions that I might have, I do that for free. And the value exchange is, I know I'm going to see some advertising along the way, um, but I'm using the internet for free. I, I mean, we, we employ 50 meteorologists to deliver the best forecast. We don't charge for folks who go to our app or our website, but we do advertise, and that's how we actually pay for the service. I think that's a good thing. I also think when you're traversing the internet to get an actual targeted relevant ad at the right time that might be relevant for you as you're, as you're traversing the web is not a bad thing. 50 years ago, you'd be watching television, you would get an ad that would have absolutely no, that made no sense for you to be seeing. I don't want to go back there. I just don't think it's smart. So that's, I think, the balance that we have to strike. We don't want to be creepy. We got to make sure that we've got the safeguards in place so that we're kind of protecting folks' privacy. But at the same time, I don't think we want to go back to the Stone Ages where 50% of your advertising might work. You just don't know exactly which 50%. You, you, you said something quite uh, interesting and maybe provocative that uh, a lot of this depends on our definition of data. And I think about that when, when we get into conversations about the right to be forgotten, which of course sounds great. Many of us want to be forgotten on, on some days and <laughs> probably people around some of us want us to be forgotten too on uh, some days. But, uh, but there's dangers in that because I may search for weather and maybe I don't want you to know where I decide, you know what, I don't want people or anyone to know that last week I was searching for this place. But it's gone into your data systems and has created metadata, anonymized presumably, that is of value to, to you but to others. And there may not even be the ability to retract it yeah. or to eliminate it, but maybe I don't have the right to uh, eliminate it through the system, especially up to a, a meta level. How should we be thinking about sort of our desire to control or maybe even own our data, which uh, uh, could be idealistic, but many people want to, to own their data versus the reality of layered data uh, in, in, yeah. in cyberspace. I, um, it, this is over my pay grade, so I don't know if I'm going to give the, the best, most... Um, You're the CEO, so. Yeah, but, but, not, but, I, but right to be forgotten is not... Uh, that's not necessarily our business for the most part, because what's a little different from us is um, we don't really know all that much about our users. We don't require registration. You don't log in when you come to our website. Um, we, we don't have that information. So what we do is we have generalized, anonymized, aggregated information about clumps of people. 
which becomes really valuable for us from an advertising perspective and from an insights perspective, but we can't pinpoint down to an individual person. Uh, and so it's less relevant for a business like us. It was very relevant when I was at Google, but it was always a slippery slope. And I want to be careful I don't speak for, for Google and I'll get myself uh, in trouble, um, although I can't get myself fired <laughs> from there anymore. I, I do think that if someone, uh, if there's factual information on the internet and Google surfaces it, I don't think you have the right to be forgotten in that, in that context. There's factual information. And if you did something wrong in the past, but you just don't like the way it was portrayed, I don't think you as a user have a right to kind of take that off of the internet. And in many ways, Google is the entree to that. Now, if there's not factual information and Google hasn't done the work to determine that that's the case, or in the case of YouTube, where you've got um, offensive videos that they haven't got, done a good job vetting and all those types of things, that's where Google and Facebook, I think, have the um, responsibility to staff up to ensure that those don't happen. But for those cases that are actually accurate, I think that's, that's, that's part of the world that we live in. It so so that, that's the one element of yeah. right to be forgotten that I know was kind of in the crosshairs a couple years ago and still is. Because in, in, in Europe, you actually do have that right. And Google has to take a lot of these things down in many instances. And sometimes it's gray on whether or not uh, someone should or not. And on the commercial side of the conversation, how should we be thinking about data ownership? Who, who should own data ultimately? Uh, I think. You know, there are some folks that feel that uh, ultimately a user owns all of the data and they should be compensated for it. Uh, and in some ways, depending on the nature of that data, maybe there are business models that, that are associated with that and that might make sense. I would argue that from an internet perspective, like I mentioned before, in many ways, you are the value exchange of um, delivering free content and in exchange being advertised to, that is, to a certain extent, a, a commercial relationship that kind of works. Uh, again, it can't go over the line, it can't be creepy, and you do have the opportunity to kind of opt in or opt out. Do you think uh, we're going to get to or get to anytime soon a, uh, a model where if you're monetizing my data, helping that retailer and they're presumably paying for you, that maybe I'm going to get uh, a share of that via the blockchain or some other system? I know there's theories and uh, lots of ideas around this, but is that something that we're likely to get to? I don't think it's around the corner, um, personally. but. I just think that's going to get super complicated how you're going to how you're going to track that. Now maybe you can through blockchain technology over time, uh, but I, I would say that's five, ten, fifteen years away. Uh, and 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 I don't know how, um, you know, when you add all that up, what maybe a user makes six bucks a year or something like that. I, I don't know yeah. what the value of those particular um, atomized units are over the, the the population of the of the web universe. I wonder, just as we move towards close, if uh, if you can share some thoughts about the uh, about trust. You've talked about all that uh, uh, you're doing to uh, build trust with uh, users, and there's a general view out there. The Business Council of Canada is issuing issuing a report called uh, Data Driven uh, that identifies public trust as a big uh, concern in Canada. Seventy-five percent, three quarters of Canadians had uh, their, their data compromised yeah. in some way last year. Uh, is this a serious concern, or are we, we overblowing it? And, and I, I how should we a, be thinking about it? I think it's a serious concern. I um, 100% uh, think it's a serious concern, especially around the sensitive, personally identifiable information I think is critical that 
organizations get that right. If you've got my credit card, if you've got my SIN number, if you've got my social security number in the US, uh, if you understand, even my email, that is sensitive to me. And I want to ensure that the folks that I work with have the, um, the policies and the technology in place to ensure that gets used for only the right reasons. It's encrypted, it's anonymized, and there's no way to kind of backward um, uh, configure and figure it out. Uh, th that, I think, makes a ton of sense and needs a lot more investment because every, every time we get better at that, the, the kind of the negative side of society and the hackers get even better and they're one step ahead. Where sometimes I feel like we can go a little overboard is on some of the things I talked about before where um, uh, let's ensure that we don't go backwards um, from a, from a advertising perspective, meaning I would prefer in my own navigation of the web to have a relevant experience that's relatively frictionless as opposed to having to opt into every website I want to use, uh, make decisions everywhere, and then wind up having you know some lottery ad or something that makes no sense to me or a monkey going like this. These were the first uh, display ads 35 years ago, 25 years ago. I fear that we might go back that way and it's a bit more spray and pay, pray and has no real impact on me as an individual user. Sam, I want to thank you so much for uh, your time today Thanks and being part of fun. RBC Disruptors and sharing really valuable insights on the challenges as well as the, uh, the opportunities uh, in, the, in, in the data economy. And to our audience both here and uh, online, thank you, uh, thank you for being part of the conversation. If you're a podcast junkie like all of us, please subscribe to RBC Disruptors uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're releasing new episodes uh, more frequently now. And stay tuned for future events. You can do that by going to rbc.com slash disruptors. Thank you all for being here. Thank you again, Sam. Thank you.